Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning. Can you see me? I can't see you. Well, I know I'm, uh, I'm uh, walking on a dangerous ground. I didn't know this morning if I should wear an orange tie or a red tie. But since I crossed the border, just a couple of mile, miles down the road, I decided to go with red. Uh, well, I know that uh, you just heard from a southern bell. You heard from a redneck, and now you're here from a, you're here now from a hillbilly. <laughs> but uh, what, what a joy to be able to worship with you, and thank you, Pastor, for allowing me to be here. It's a joy, and it's an honor to be, uh, to be at Rosemont uh, for my first time in my life, and I know it's always dangerous uh, when you have um, someone uh, that comes and speaks for you. You've never met that person. You don't know if it's ugly or not. Uh, you don't know if he speaks good English or he talks like Elmer Fudd. Uh, you do not know what, where his theology is and where he stands. But uh, do me a favor, please. Promise me that if I mess up, you're not going to fire Pastor Adam. It's not his fault. It's my fault. Well, what a joy to see that you guys are involved in missions. And we heard about uh, the work in Romania, and I hear about other places where you're involved, and I want to commend you for that, and I say praise the Lord. I'm grateful to the Lord for you, and I'm grateful to you for sending people, for going. And in behalf of the Romanian people, let me say thank you for sending your pastor and allowing uh, the couple, this couple, beautiful couple, and many others to come and do the work there. I don't have time to go uh, over the, the stories that I have on how people get saved, uh, we have people in the VBS that get saved. My wife is an American. Uh, she got saved in a VBS in her church in uh, Palm Beach, Florida, uh, when she was seven years of age. And now she's a missionary in the country of Romania. And God has a plan and a purpose for everybody. And I commend you for paying attention to the little ones and uh, let them know uh, about the saving grace of Jesus and presenting them the gospel, and then give them the opportunity to come to know the Lord. It's amazing what God can do with that little heart. So thank you, and God bless you for that. Talking about the little kids, I want to share something with you, and then I go into my sermon. In 2005, uh, my two-year-old daughter by then, Victoriana Genet, we call her Tori, uh, was my uh, old, only, only daughter I had, was diagnosed with neuroblastoma, a very aggressive form of uh, pediatric cancer. So survival rate is somewhere around 2%. She was diagnosed with neuroblastoma. She had two tumors, one in, on her spine and one in her abdominal cavity. She spent one year in a hospital, two surgeries, five, six rounds of chemo, bone marrow transplant, five months in PICU, 98 days in coma. The doctor said there's no chance for her to survive. Well, God had a different plan and a different story. She's now 10 years of age, and she is cancer-free. 
We live in Romania, and we went back to Romania in 2009 against every odd to go back. Every doctor said, please do not go back to Romania. Do not return there for the safety of your daughter. God spoke to our hearts based on Isaiah that we should go back to Romania, and we went back to Romania, and my wife started a ministry called Child Life Specialists. Uh, We work with the hospice there in the country of Romania. Romania has 24 million people, and we have only four hospices. One of the hospice is out of Emmanuel Baptist Church and Emmanuel University of Oradia. It was started by one of our graduates at Emmanuel University. My wife started her own ministry with dying children. Uh, it's palliative care and also, you know, kids that are dying. And so out of this suffering that we went through, now we have a ministry and uh, we are uh, all over Romania, uh, but especially in the city now of Oradia where we live. And uh, we wrote a, a book entitled A Prince's Story, a story of, of uh, hope, faith, and miracles. It's the story of my daughter. And at the end of the story, there's a gospel presentation. The book is dedicated to our spiritual father and mother, Dr. and Mrs. Paige Patterson. But at the end of the story, there's a gospel presentation. is in Romanian and in English. However, the guy that did all the drawings here is the gentleman who did uh, works for Walt Disney since 1980. He did The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, The Lion King, Mulan, and The Princess and the Frog. So the same gentleman uh, donated his talent, and there's a great, great book, a story of hope, faith, and miracles. Uh, I have only about 20 probably left. I have more, but not here. I have only 20 left. If you want to purchase one, uh, we are asking not less than $20. I know some of you can give more and everything will go to the child life specialist. And um, if you want, uh, I'll be at the end of the service. I'll be able to even sign some of them for you. Now, since uh, Gracie and Jonas is not here, I'm going to ask uh, Abby and Lydia, come and get this from Tori. Okay? Come here, quick. (laughs) Don't don't be shy. That's for you. And I hope you'll enjoy it. Well, um, this morning, I want to speak with you on a subject that is dear to my heart. And I'm bringing this mainly because, as an American also, I see what's happening in our own country, the United States. If you turn on the CNN, which I rarely do, but if you turn on the CNN, every other second will tell you that America will collapse financially, that we will be the beggars of the world, that um, uh, we are in recession. And so they tell us, they started uh, a few years ago in 2009, they says 2010 will be the worst year. 2010, they said 2011 will be the worst. 2011, they said what? 2012 will be the worst. 2012, they said, you have, you have yet to come. 2013 is going to be the worst. Now you know what they are telling us. 2014 is going to be the worst. I'll tell you what's happening. There's a movement going on, and I believe that the the person behind this move is Satan himself. What he wants to do with my heart and with your heart, and with the church, your church and my church, is to paralyze us and to paralyze the work that God has planned for us. Now, when it comes to missions, there are always two problems that the churches encounter. If we look at the first New Testament church, 
In fact, when um, Jesus spoke to the disciples and said, the Holy Spirit will, call, will come upon you, and you shall be by witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the world. Now, there are two challenges there. The first one is for the disciples to understand where is the end of the world. Imagine that they were given the command that you shall be my witnesses and you shall be my witnesses to the end of the earth. And probably they were sitting there and talking to each other and trying to remember geography 101 and say, where is the end of the world? I have no clue. What about you? I have no idea. The second problem was this. Given that they knew where the end of the world is, the second challenge is how to get there. I mean, imagine they knew that they have to get to Tanzania. Or they had to get to uh, probably, let's say, Alaska. The question is, how are we to get there? No jumbo jets, no Concord, leaving London and getting into New York in two hours. So there were some challenges. However, that challenge was somehow resolved. Now we kind of figure out where the end of the world is. We figured out how to get there. You get on a plane and... Uh, you know, in nine hours, you are from Atlanta into uh, Amsterdam or Paris. And then another two hours, you are in Budapest. And another two hours, and you are in Romania. So now we kind of save that problem. But there's another challenge. The challenge is not necessarily to go. The challenge is to give. And I've seen churches after churches upon churches upon churches that the first thing they do when they look at their finances is to shrink missions. Oh, pastor, you don't understand. We cannot do it. Oh, pastor, you, under, you don't understand. We are not going to make it. Unfortunately, most of those people who tell you that, if you look at their record giving, you'll be shocked. But we cannot do it, pastor. There's no way we can do this. I know churches that cancel their mission trips because they're so frightened. How are we going to survive? How are we going to make it? And I believe with all my heart that, God, that Satan is using this strategy to put fear and tremble in your heart and in my heart. And then that goes directly from my heart, not doesn't go to my head. It goes to my pocket. So the two challenges to go and to give have to be somehow resolved. It takes two hands to clap. You can go and give, you can give and go, and you cannot separate the two of them. I know that you go and you give, and I commend you for that. But there's always the danger of losing missions. When a church becomes paralyzed, when a believer becomes so frightened by the economic situation that they decide not to tie... They decide not to give. They decide not to go. This morning, I want us to look at a church in the New Testament. A church is a very, very small church that was established in 52 after Christ by Paul the Apostle. If you turn with me to Acts chapter 16, verse 9, there's a story about a church that was established in the city of Philippi. Acts chapter 16, if you want to turn your Bibles in Acts 
chapter 16, the Bible says there the following things. Acts chapter 16. Uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 9. Acts 16, verse 9 says, And the vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately, not later, immediately, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord has called us to preach the gospel to them. So the Bible tells us that in his second mission journey, around 52 after Christ, Paul was in Troas. While he was there with Timothy and Luke and many others, he had a vision in the night. Someone stood and said, come over to Macedonia and help us. And the Bible tells us that immediately the missionary team left Troas, went over and crossed the Bosphor, and ended up in Macedonia, in the southern part of Europe, in the city of Philippi. Now, if you continue to read the story, you find that they went by the river and they prayed with someone there, and then they went into the house of Lydia, and the church was established in 52 after Christ. We know what happened. Paul preached the gospel there, and while he, he preached the gospel, you know what happened? He got arrested, and he was thrown in jail. After he came out of the jail, they went over, in their missionary journey, they went over to Thessalonica, and the Bible says that in Thessalonica, Paul preached the gospel three weekends, only three weekends, but many came to know the Lord, Greeks and Jews. Now, Paul is in prison in Rome in 62-64 after Christ. From there, he writes a letter to the church that he established, and we have it as the book of Philippians. I don't have time to go over all the reasons why Paul wrote this letter, but one of them is found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 16. Philippians 4, verse 16, the Bible says this, For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Do you know what happened? Paul left Philippi. And he was sent by the church in Philippi to go over to Thessalonica. And once, not only once, but twice or even more, the church sent something to help him on the field. Now, I want you to see something. A church that had no building, Philippi, no budget. A church that was meeting in someone's house is sending a missionary team to Thessalonica. And from Thessalonica, the gospel goes over and over and gets into England. And from England comes the United States. And from the United States, it's going all over the world with one church that had no budget and no building. And let me tell you another problem they had. Not only they had no budget, they had no building. They had another problem. You know what the problem was? Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. They are encountering another problem, another challenge. Philippians 1.29, the Bible says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer. For what? For his sake. Watch this. The church in the city of Philippi is founded here 
to be in its incipient stages of persecution. So here you have a church who is suffering, a church who is suffering for the Lord, who has no budget, has no building, but is so mission-minded that sends Paul and his missionary team to Thessalonica to preach the gospel, and people get saved, and the gospel is proclaimed, and the church is established in Thessalonica. When we look at this, we probably ask ourselves, what is it about a church with no budget, no building, a church that's suffering for Christ, that's persecuted, that's threatened to be killed for their faith? How come they have such a vision and such a passion to send out, to go, and to give? If we look at this, we realize something that I want you to remember today. And that is this. The task ahead of us is as never as great as the power behind us. If you leave this place and you don't remember any word I said, please remember this. The head, the task that's ahead of us, of your church, is as never as great as the power behind us. And with that in mind, I want to look today with you and some principles that we can learn from a small church with no budget, no building, a church that's suffering, a church that has a vision for lost. First of all, I want you to remember and look at this book. I want to realize, and they realize that they have a plan. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul the Apostle says this to the church, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. So what the church did, no building, no plan, suffering for Jesus, they realized that God has a plan for their lives and for their church. So Paul is explaining here the plan and says, you have this plan that has, God has given you, and that is to strive together for the faith of the gospel. They look at their calling. They look at their lives and they said, even though we are persecuted, even if we have no money, even if we have no building, even if we have no budget, even we don't have people to go, at least we can send someone, and they send Paul. They realize that God has a plan for their lives. And you know that God has a plan for your church to reach not only people here, which you do so well, but also to reach the people and the nations across the world. The church realized that God has a plan for them, but also they remember, secondly, the presence of Christ, because you need Christ to be able to go with you, and you need to remember that he's always there to help you. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, the Bible says this, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. The expression there, the Lord is at hand, in originally, it doesn't refer, as we thought for many years, to the second coming of the Lord. It refers not to Christ returning, you know, to pick up his bride, the church, it doesn't talk about the time frame. It talks about space frame. So when he says the Lord is at hand, that means the Lord is so close that you can reach him just with a stretch of your hand. Let me ask you this. For a church that is so sold out to missions, who is suffering, who has no budget and no building, what can be more comforting to know that when they are sent out, they realize that God has a plan, but also they remember 
the presence of the Lord. Nothing can be more comforting to know that Christ is present. Number three, they recognize the power of God in Christ. Read with me verse 13 from chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Now, I know that this is one of most, uh, most of your favorite verses. But you know what? This verse is one of the most misinterpreted verses. If you go to a football game, Tim Tebow has what? Philippians 4.13. I used to play soccer when I went to Tennessee Temple in college to pay for my school. And I, we would be down 8-0. And you'll see this, uh, my fellow American soccer players, man, we can do it, man, we can, we can do all things through Christ. We had five minutes left in the game. I'm thinking, you are nuts. <laughs> but this is one of the most misinterpreted verses. Oh, we can do all things through Christ. But read with me the context in which Paul writes this verse. Chapter 4, read with me in verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now, at last, your care for me has flourished again though you surely did care but lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to be abound. How to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And in this context of financial crisis, he says, I can do all things, though, through Christ who strengthens me. The church in the city of Philippi recognized the power of God that is in Christ. And I want you to understand something. This power is the power unto salvation, is the power unto sanctification, and is the power unto service. You understand that this is the power of God in Christ who saves you and saves me? Is the same power of God in Christ who sanctifies me, and is the same power of God in Christ who does what? Who helps me to serve. And Paul talks about this power. It's not a power that we can win a game when we are down with five minutes to go and we're eight nothing. This is a power, that power that I can do when, when a financial crisis challenges my life to go and to give. I, as a believer, who are saved and sanctified, now am ready to serve and recognize the power that God gives me in Christ. And fourthly, there's something else. This church learned not only to realize that God has a plan for them, not only to remember the presence of Christ, not only to recognize the power that is given to them, but also to rediscover who is the provider. Read with me chapter 4, verse 19. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Jesus Christ. You know what the problem is? Most of the times we forget who is the one who provides for us. You know what's the most amazing thing for me? Is to see that we trust God to provide our salvation in Jesus was the most important thing, isn't it? We trust God and we say, oh God, we put our trust 
In Jesus, we put our trust in you to save us. And he saves us with what's most important, our salvation, our eternity. But then we cannot put trust, our trust in God when we have to give or when we have to go. Oh, yes, Lord, I trust you. I trust you as my Savior. I trust you as my, as my Lord. What do you say? Go and give? Are you crazy? But isn't this amazing? How Satan is using through all means to try to do what? To scare us. We cannot go. We cannot give. You never know what's going to happen. I know a church, I preached in that church a long time ago, had about a quarter of a million dollars in a cemetery fund. And uh, I asked them for support and for helping and for coming. They said, we can't come, we can't give. I looked at them and I said, you know what? I feel so sorry for you. You are more worried about the living than about the, 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 the dead, about the, the living. You are more worried about the dead people than you worry about the living who have to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You know, we say, well, it's tough. It's hard. It's hard to go. It's hard to give. Again, I commend you for doing this. But my prayer for you this morning is that you will never let that thought that Satan is using now to paralyze the Americans' believers to go and to give. You know, if you look at one more thing at this church, when you see that they had absolutely nothing, let me close you close with this. You heard about Emmanuel University and Seminary, studied in 1987 underground. We met in different places for a few years. I was part of that underground seminary. Communism collapsed in 1990. We brought the underground seminary to the level ground, and we had absolutely nothing. We didn't have library. We had absolutely nothing except the 66 books. And as we started the school, the school continued to grow, and today we have over 2,600 graduates in 29 countries. We have five undergraduate degrees, five graduate degrees, and Lord's willing, we are starting a PhD program next fall. And you know what we started with? Nothing. But let me close with this thought. Nothing in God's hands is raw material. Nothing for God is raw material. You do not have to wait till you have something to go or to give. And my prayer is that you will never lose sight of missions and you will never be in the danger of losing that mission. Thank you and God bless you, Pastor. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.